Good morning. Uh, three years ago, uh, Sarah and I saved up and took a trip to Maui. Uh, we heard rumors that it was as beautiful as Nacogdoches and wanted to see if they were true. <laughs> uh, while there, we went to this uh, beautiful town called Lahaina, and we were <clears throat> walking in the downtown shop area, and we came across this tree we had never heard of called a, a, a banyan tree, a banyan tree, and it was unbelievable. What it looked like a multitude of trees in reality was a single tree that was originally planted at about eight feet tall and had grown to about 60 feet tall, spread out to, to almost a half of an acre, and had developed about 17 other trunks. There were 18 trunks in this tree because the root system was so gigantic it, it sat on an entire block. Uh, in a park area. It was incredible. It was a, one of the largest trees we've ever seen. I'd never heard of such a thing with such a root system to be able to endure so very much. The banyan tree. As believers in Christ, our hope and our desire is that our roots would be so deep and so wide in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the goodness of the gospel that we would be able to endure any season of life, any storm, as this tree was around 150 years old, it had seen generations come and generations go, and yet the tree still stood because it, its root system was so developed. Our prayer as a church family is that we would develop such deep roots as disciples of Jesus Christ, so sold and bought into the understanding that our purpose in life, your purpose in life, is to, to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God of God. This is our purpose. That we would be so rooted in that mission and that purpose that we would be so entrenched that whatever season, whatever storm, whatever hardship comes our way in life, we will endure. Not because we are great, but because the root system that the Lord has developed and grown in us as a people that are committed disciples would be so great that for His glory we would endure all sufferings and all hardships unashamed to be the people of God in Nacogdoches and to the ends of the world. As we come now and we begin to conclude the third chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul is going to give Timothy, in light of what we discussed last week with this description, this character sketch of these leaders of the lost, these 18 or so adjectives that describe the people that are not of Christ, this anti-elder list. And now what Paul does is he puts a pen in it and he says, Timothy... Not for you. Not for you. You will be marked in your life with these two characteristics, if you will. These two descriptors of the one who is deeply rooted as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is who you are. And as a church family, this is our prayer today. That these are things that we want to be told by our children and our grandchildren at our funerals. These are elements, college students, that you should hope that this would become your legacy in Nacogdoches after you leave in about 30 or 40 years. This is, this is who we want to be. These characteristics, we want to highlight our lives. These imprints, parents, even if your child does not come to Christ, they would be able to say by the time they leave your home, that was my mom, that was my dad, that was my grandparent. They are marked 
by those two characteristics of what it means to be a rooted disciple of Jesus Christ. So as you have your Bibles, uh, let's begin. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you can, of course, follow along in the pew back Bible in front of you on page 996. And let's look together as we notice first and foremost that rooted disciples continually abide in Jesus Christ. And there's two particular components of this characteristic. The first is this, that abiding in Christ in belief and behavior. Disciples that are deeply rooted, they will continually abide in Jesus Christ in both their belief and behavior. What they think and what they do. Belief and behavior. To have deep roots is to continually abide in this. So let's just read verse 10 together. You notice this first component of this first characteristic. He says, you, again speaking of Timothy, you, however, you have followed my teaching, Paul says, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul's way of life in Christ was in such a way and so observed by Timothy as Paul mentored Timothy as a son in the faith that Paul is able to basically present his life as a contrast to the false teachings and the 18 uh, false teacher adjectives that we saw previously. And so in contrast to Janice and Jambres that we looked at last week, Paul says, no, 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 you know me. We're on team Moses. We're on team Aaron here. We are these people that are hearing and doing the Word of God. And beliefs and behavior, you've seen it in me. It's been followed you followed my life. You've seen how I'm doing it. Now, Timothy, you go and do it as well. See, the model for the Christian life, yes, Paul was astronomical in what the Lord did in his life, but his beliefs and his behavior as a man of God are to be re repeated and demonstrated in the body of Christ. What is supernatural for the life of man, this transformation of lifestyle, that Paul would go from a murderer of believers to a follower and a teacher of the Word of God, this transformation that doesn't make sense according to our world, that transformation is to be normative for people that are rooted disciples in Jesus Christ. And he walks through this list. Did you see that? This list of this transformed element of his life. And he walks through and he says, my teaching, his teaching of the gospel, he's, he's spoken of this once and for all delivered faith to the saints. My conduct, his way of life and understanding of the law and grace and the gospel has changed. His very aim in life has gone from killing disciples to making disciples. His faith is now in the person and work of Christ, that Christ really is the only way, the only hope. And it's this belief that Jesus truly is the only way of salvation that spurs missionary advancement through the book of Acts, and through the generations that have come since and must continue to come today. The reality that Jesus is our only hope, it should spur us to stop and say, that's offensive. Instead, it should fuel us to a lifestyle of missions to say, wait, there is actually hope. Because if you and I look at our own life or we look at the philosophies of this world, the reality is they can identify a problem, things are not the way they should be, but they truly don't have the power to remedy our brokenness. Paul knew that the resurrected Christ who had appeared to him on the road to Damascus is the only one with the power capable of bringing true hope and true salvation to all that will trust in him. And this becomes his very cry and his aim in life to now be making disciples of those that he once killed before he knew Christ. 
His patience. Patience is this. I like this little definition. Patience is when the Lord's timing does not match up with our expectations for the timing. Would you agree with that? Patience is when the Lord's timing does not match up with the timing that you and I think the Lord should take. This is patience. And Paul in his life, writing from a jail cell, is patient. Because God does not make mistakes in allowing him to be in a jail cell. His patience is that of believing in the sovereignty and goodness of God to say, God, your timing is perfect. That's patience. He says, my patience and my love, my love for Christ and the people. He's already expressed to Timothy how much he loves him and cares for him. That's his passion. And his steadfastness, that's his unwavering commitment to Christ in all things, his belief and his behavior. So how are you and I going to be rooted in Christ and our beliefs and our behavior? I think there's two key distractions that we will face in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old. There's two distractions that we have to be rooted. If we take a plant and we root it, what's going to happen if we decide to uproot it? Well, clearly, it's not going to grow deeper roots. It can't do that. So there's two distractions, every one of us, it doesn't matter your background, two distractions that every one of us has a fo- as a follower of Christ that will keep us from sprouting deep roots from the very beginning. And the first is this, is that we look around. It'd be like if a plant could think or could decide to say, you know what, I like it here, but boy, it looks better over there. And it got up and it walked over there. You and I, as life, even as followers of Jesus Christ, are consistently distracted by those around us. And we can compare ourselves. A spouse can compare themselves to another spouse. A believing spouse can compare themselves to another believing spouse and say, wow, that looks good. We can do the same to the person in the pew beside us or the family member. We can look around at other people in our culture or social media or other places and say, wow, that soil looks really good. I kind of wish I had that soil. And we no longer focus on planting deep roots in the gospel and being faithful in the soil we're in. Instead, we look around. Pastors do this as well. Charlie Colgan does a great job at First Christian. Noel Deere does a great job at First Baptist. And I can make the mistake in my own heart to look around and say, oh man. And we compare ourselves to other people. And it does one of two things, doesn't it? It either A, it inflates us in our ego to say, look at me. Or it does the opposite and it deflates us and it makes us say, Woe is me. One of two reactions will happen. And both of these will keep us from planting deep roots. And this is interesting to me. Because what does Paul say to Timothy? You know me. You followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. And what he's doing to Timothy is he's not telling Timothy, Timothy, look at me and look at my ministry so that Timothy feels like, oh man, I've done nothing. You ever heard the saying, you've got, to fill, you've got big shoes to fill? That's not how Timothy takes this. Paul uses this to say to Timothy, hey, look at what our big God has done through me. You trust in our big God and watch what He does through you for His gospel and His goodness. So we can make the mistake of looking around instead of being encouraged by other believers, we compare ourselves to other believers and we look at ourselves instead of focusing on planting roots where we're currently planted. Because the truth is, only the Lord has given you a specific race to run. It's going to look different. All of us are at different seasons of life. And we all have different circles of influence. 
but you being faithfully planted in the gospel as a man and a woman, as a boy or a girl, you being faithfully planted and running the race that the Lord has given you to run, it will look different than the person around you in detail, but the characteristics will be the same. We will begin to adopt the same aim of making disciples. We will begin to, to, to adopt the same passions and purposes. But the people that that makes up in our lives will all be different. But if we want to grow deep roots as a disciple of Christ, we need to make sure we're not looking around for the sake of comparing ourselves to others. And secondly, we don't want to look back. We don't want to look behind in our life. How many of you, let's do a show of hands, how many of you have looked at a point in your life where you turned around and looked back and said, boy, I wish it was like it used to be in my life. You ever done that? Raise your hand. I'm going to take a picture and follow up with you later. No, that's, that's not it. That's not, not it. The older, wiser people were like, I'm not raising my hand. I know how this works. Isn't that a constant threat? To look at our lives and say, boy, I wish I was younger again. Or to say, boy, I wish I didn't mess that up like I did. Perhaps if you've been widowed, I wish I was married again. We can look at all the seasons of life and the power of nostalgia can drive us to ineffectiveness in planting our roots in the gospel today because it causes us to forget that the sovereign God has us where we are today at the age we are with the people we are. I'm so encouraged. There's this new ministry. It's beginning. They're having a luncheon today right after the service called Season Singles in Service. And this incredible group, a group that often gets overlooked or feels overlooked or feels inadequate, has looked and said, and they, by their own forming, have basically said, look, we've got time and we've got resources and we believe that God is going to do and can use us to do great things. And so this group is partnering together. They're going to have a short luncheon. It won't be more than an hour. They're going to gather together and they're going to talk about here's areas that we can serve and here's areas how we can fellowship and encourage other people and reach out to people uh, who are seasoned in life and yet who find themselves single, they believe that the Lord can use them mightily, and he absolutely can, and I believe he absolutely will. But it's a great example of looking at our lives and saying, Lord, I want to plant deep roots. I want to plant deep roots. And I trust that I'm where I am today for your glory. Take me. Use me. I'm yours. That's exactly what Paul tells Timothy to do. So we want to be a people who in our lives ultimately abide in Christ and beliefs and behavior. And secondly, if we want to grow deep roots, we want to do so by abiding in Christ despite dangers and deceptions. Rooted disciples of Jesus Christ are men and women who are abiding in Christ despite dangers and deceptions. Verse 11 through 13, it continues the list on after my steadfastness. And he says in verse 11, he continues that. He says, my persecutions and sufferings. That happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Sign me up. Verse 13. While, ev while evil people and impostors, look at this, go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And just as we each have our own locations in life that the Lord places us in His good sovereignty, so too does each of our soils have their own susceptibility to dangers. Every one of us do. Every one of us. 
When we moved to Nacogdoches, I don't know if you know this, uh, but it turns out we're known for a particular kind of flower. What's that kind of flower called? There you go. Very good. You passed. I'll keep going on the sermon then. And, and when we heard about these flowers, and we were excited about it, and we were told that we had some, but they weren't doing anything. So we just thought maybe we had some defunct azaleas in our yard or something. And then as time went by, we noticed that certain flowers were, certain plants that were planted in our yard were yellowish as well, which probably is not a good thing if you're a, a plant. <clears throat> so I did what every novice gardener would do, and I started to water those things with uh, just passion. I watered them with joy. I tried to love them and pet them. I didn't do that last part, but I did water them a lot. And I thought, boy, if I give them enough water, they will grow. And I was wrong. And so uh, we had Chick come out, Chick and Millie. He knows everything about everything. And so he came out, and I'm like, Chick, I, I've been watering these things like crazy. And he looks at me with a gracious look because he totally, I think, wanted to say, Brent, you're a fool. But he said, Brent, yeah, this is, you're short on nitrogen. Go get nitrogen on these things. And we did, and they've come alive. They've blossomed. Every soil has its own weakness. Every soil has its own susceptibility to various dangers and deceptions. Every one of us in our lives has our own unique dangers and deceptions. Every marriage has its own vulnerabilities. And there is an enemy who is training and has been training and studying vigilantly to do everything he can to shipwreck your faith. And as Stephen said in our call to worship, you and I have a susceptibility to various temptations and trials as we wage war against the flesh that will be more effective in your life than it will be in your life. But we must be vigilant to realize there are dangers and deceptions that come into our life. And so what does Paul do for Peter? He, he says the same idea of enduring in the faith. 1 Peter 2, 19-20. I won't give you time to look there, but you can write it down. He gives the same encouragement of planting where you are at and enduring in the Gospel. And he speaks to servants. Look at this. Listen to this, what he says to servants. 1 Peter chapter 2, 19-20. He says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you, when you sin, you are beaten for it? You endure? What's great about that? You had it coming. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Every one of us, if you're a Christian, you're suffering for the sake of the gospel, that is a gracious thing that God can use for the advancement of his kingdom. Never underestimate who's watching your life. And what Paul does is he gives, if you remember back, look at the very beginning of verse 11, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He, he quotes three of these areas on his resume of suffering as a reminder. You can write down Acts 13 and 14. In Acts 13, at Antioch, he goes and he preaches the gospel, and the people begin to receive it, and then this mob of Jews forms that didn't trust Christ, and they chase him out of the city. And then he lists his next area in Iconium in Acts 14. He spends even more time there. He teaches the gospel. It seems to be receptive. And now we have the Gentiles and the Jews partner together to try to kill him with rocks. And then he goes on to Lystra, which uh, one of my favorite stories in all of Acts one of my favorite accounts, he goes and the people are so moved by what the Lord is doing through him as an apostle that they, they say, hey, it's Zeus. And I'm thinking, if you're reading it on your first exposure, your first here, I encourage you to read the story. It's incredible. You're like, hey, this is great. 
They think he's Zeus. They're totally going to listen to him. No. They listen to him. He preaches the gospel and he tells them, no, I'm not Zeus. Repent. He calls them to repentance. What do they do? They take up stones and they, they think they kill him. Beat him with rocks. And they drag his body outside the city. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives a much longer detail of his actual resume of endurance and suffering. I don't know if you're like me. I have a trouble. I have, I have a struggle with this sometimes. I don't know if you do. But in an age of iPhones and Hot Pockets, advances in technology, right? The same physical technology, food technology. I want the record to show that people laughed at that. Right? So, <laughs> if you ever listen to the sermon, if you miss a sermon, you can catch on, get online and listen. But the only thing they hear is actually my voice. So every joke that's ever been given in here, it just sounds like it completely bombs. It's the most <laughs> painful thing you've ever heard to listen to the sermon. So please try to be here on Sunday morning so you don't have to just cringe for me every time you listen to these. All right? But we live in a culture, I think, where we don't feel like persecution is a real reality for our life. When in the truth, more Christians have been martyred in the last century than the previous 19th centuries combined. When Paul says here that hardships, deceivers, that's deceivers outside and inside the church, will go from bad to worse, he's not giving a guess. He's giving an inerrant word. Do we believe that? Or do we live our faith in such a way that we feel like, no, 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 Paul was wrong. It's going to go from bad to good. It's going to go from hardship to comfort. How do we train our lives? How do we treat the Word? When I was in high school, one of the graduate students that was discipling me and a group of other men, boys, He asked me a question. I, I carried it around with me everywhere in my football playbook, about a quarter inch or so thickness. And I had to memorize, and any chance that I could, I would memorize the plays. I'd look at them and try to commit them to memory, both sides, offense, defense. I just did everything I could to memorize it because I wanted to play. I wanted to be victorious. I had an understanding that there were other people on our schedule, other young men that were doing the same thing. And I needed to know that in order to play. I needed to know that in order to be victorious. And Dan asked me the question. He said, what are you reading? He asked me. It's just a general open question. He'd ask us that every week. He's very studious. And I said, I'm not a reader. I don't really read. He said, Brent, that's incredible. How does your coach let you play if you don't know the playbook? And I knew exactly what he hit on. It was very clear. He pointed out this fact right here, that I was training in such a way to be victorious on the field of physical competition I was training because I knew there was opponents that were training viciously to defeat me. And so I was committing and I was being studious and I was doing everything I could to be successful on the hardships I knew that were going to come on the football field. And yet in my faith, I was training as though Paul was a liar. As though things would not go from bad to worse. As though I would not face hardships and heresies left and right. In one area of life, I was training for victory. In the other area of life, I was training for comfort. Look at your own personal life. As I look at mine, this becomes a point of conviction. And look at your life and say, am I working harder in my studies 
to be successful in my career than I am in my walk with the Lord? Am I beating my body into shape more than I am surrendering my spirit to the Lord to be a useful vessel for His kingdom? And this becomes an area of trust because we're forced to say, even in a life of luxuries, Lord, I do believe things will go from bad to worse. And I think part of the way it will attack us is through massive comforts at our fingertips in every area here in the West. Rooted disciples continually abide in Christ. And secondly, rooted disciples continually will aim to mature in their faith in Jesus Christ. Rooted disciples of Jesus Christ will mature in their faith. If you want to mature in your faith, here's two key components to do so. A, rooted by faith in the hero of the full story of Scripture. Rooted by faith in the hero of the full story of Scripture. Verse 14 and 15. This text is absolutely incredible. Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So you've learned it and you're committed to it. Knowing from whom you learned it, going back to his mother and grandmother, chapter 1, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that would be our Old Testament scriptures predominantly, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He is rooted in the scriptures. And who are the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, rooted in and pointing to? Faith in Christ Jesus. All the entire scriptures, fielding over 1,600 years, 40 different authors, three languages, three continents, is one central story. This is not disjointed books. This is one central story, one hero, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. The second person of the Trinity would, would come in obedience to the Father. He would come and He would take on flesh, fully God, fully man, and He would lay His life down. He would be tempted in every way as we are, and yet He would be without sin. He'd fulfill all the demand of the prophets. And he would lay his life down as a make-right sacrifice to all who believe. All that look to Christ will find a perfect Savior and he will keep them. His will is to always do the will of the Father and he does it perfectly. The will of the Father is that the Son would lose none. And if you come to Christ, you have life and forgiveness. And this is the hope that we have, that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and he laid his life down on the cross he defeated death and he arose again on the third day. And he walked the earth and he, he met with people like he did in Luke 24, 27 to the, to the men on the road to Emmaus. It says, in beginning with Moses, our, our first five books, we would say, in all the prophets, the rest of the scriptures, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is not a disjointed book. This is a single thread of redemption pointing to Jesus Christ, the great hero. This book is worth your life. It's worth every part of us. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, all the promises of God the Father find their yes in Christ. And that is why it is through scriptures. It's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This book is worth our lives. This book testifies of Christ. The Holy Spirit who indwells you if you're a believer, what does He do? He testifies of Christ. He convicts us. He comforts us. He leads us. He guides us. But He does so according to His Word and He testifies about Jesus Christ. The very one who, who defeated death 
And the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit who empowered him is the same Holy Spirit who lives within us as believers so that we can walk in victory and sin, that we can walk and testify of Christ and call others to turn and to trust Christ. Do you know Jesus is your king? Do you know the story of Scripture? Our entire life as believers is to be a life of continually mastering this book and being mastered by it. Let me explain that. Our entire life is to be about mastering this book, which is centrally about the hero, Jesus Christ, to know Him intimately, to master the book, and then to be mastered by it. To be mastered by it. What do I mean? We read about having faith in Christ. We get coffee with somebody and explain to them the gospel like several of our college students have been doing over the last two weeks. And you're sitting across from somebody telling them to trust in Jesus and they'll have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's where faith is. You're being mastered by it. You read this scripture that talks about forgiveness. Then you actually see that person that you have feelings of hatred towards. That person, when you're at the grocery store, you want to go down the other aisle. You know that feeling? If it's me, let's make peace together, okay? <laughs> For the record, that joke worked as well if you're listening at home. All right, let's go. Let's go. But our entire lives, the same thing that Ginny and John and Bobby are doing such a great job of helping train up our kids in this little elementary el- aspects of that there is one great hero who is Christ. They're getting their minds around it. They're mastering it. Our entire life we spend until the Lord calls us home is to be mastered by it. To be mastered by it. A book that's so great a child can play in and yet an elephant can drown. Pour your life in mastering the Word of God and knowing Jesus Christ, the great hero of all of creation, the one by whom all things are created and held together. Jesus Christ is eternal. Do you know Him? Do you know His Word? Are you aiming to master it and be mastered by it? Rooted by faith in the hero of the full story of Scripture and and B, rooted by faith in the sufficiency of Scripture for every good work. Rooted by faith in the sufficiency, the enoughness of Scripture for every good work. 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out. God breathed and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I debated doing an entire sermon or even two sermons on these individual two verses, but I chose to show mercy to whom I show mercy. Two books that I've encouraged you, however, to buy if you're building your library. I just included them there in your notes for you. I encourage you to purchase them if you're the reading type. Canon Revisited, Establishing the Origins and the Authority of the New Testament. Studies have shown that a child's first, a child that grows up in a Christian home, the first time that they doubt the faith, 84% will doubt Christianity before they ever enter college. This is a book I encourage you to purchase. If you're a parent, grandparent, and you want to know how to interact with teenagers, I would encourage you to take time on this book. It's going to speak about the nature of Scripture and how Scripture by nature is authoritative. It's authoritative not because somebody got in a room and said, hey, this would be a good one. It's authoritative because it's God-breathed. It's of God in nature it's authoritative. And the church didn't make it that way. The church, the body of Christ, filled with the Spirit, 
recognized the Spirit-filled Word and received it? Has it transformed lives and met various criteria as we look at it? And so has the church recognized the Word that itself is self-authenticating? It's authoritative in its own nature because it's of God. Nothing's above it. This is the authority for all of our life. Back in Missouri, I was meeting with one of my friends about a month before we moved. I asked him a question. I like, this is a productive question. Feel free to use it when you meet with people. I said, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask him? And he said, when I get to heaven, I've got a lot more questions than just one for God. That was his answer to me. We are not the judge of God. And we are not the judge over God's word. That's a reflection of our rebellious hearts. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with truth and living it out. But it does mean the call to Christ is a call to be mastered in submission to his word. Scripture has a particular ability to make one wise for salvation. What does it do? It has the particular ability to make one wise for salvation. Build your life on memorizing, of understanding, of speaking, of teaching the Word, of of allowing it to flow from our lives. Again, one of the benefits of preaching through a book of the Bible is it forces us to see its context. Scripture is God-breathed, and what He's done earlier in in His letters, in 1 Timothy 4.1, He highlights false teachers. And He says false teachers, they're, they're giving the teaching of demons. False teachers... They'll go as far as they can go in the truth and then they'll jump into the false teaching. So it sounds it's like swirled ice cream. There's no reason for the vanilla to exist. It should just be chocolate. That's what the false teachers do. They go as far as they can on the truth and they'll mix in the false teaching. And then in Titus, chapter 1, verse 14, he speaks of the philosophies of man. The philosophies of man, these arguments that are originated by man. And they may be captivating. These genealogies may be enticing to pour yourself into, but he says, don't get caught up in them. Instead, get caught up in the Word of God that originates with God because it by nature is God-breathed. Theanustas. It's God-breathed. Root yourself in the Word of God Root yourself in the Word of God. Spurgeon said, visit many great books, but live in the Bible. The more I read the Bible, and the more any of our our people in our body who have read the Bible far more than I have, the more you read it, the more you are convicted by it. The more I read it, the more I realize how, oh my goodness, this is more deep than I could ever imagine or understand. The threads and and the Easter eggs that are all over the Scriptures and sewn together. This is God breathed. It's worthy of our mastery in our lives. Aim to be mastered by the Word. Earlier I spoke to you about the tree that was planted that we saw in Lahaina. I didn't give you the full story on that tree that had deep roots. 150 years ago, a missionary planted that tree. Before then, the island was dedicated largely to paganism. And sailors and soldiers that would come through knew that and they took advantage of that. And many of the women of Lahaina were used for prostitution. 
and trade. So they would come and give various items and then they would have relations with the women. When the missionaries came into the town and taught the gospel, the Lord worked in a great way. And the people began to get the word and understand the word and become Christians. And what happened is the prostitution opportunity for the sailors dried up. The women that used to have relations and exchange their bodies for goods, now they were owned by Christ. They were children of the book and they no longer desired to do that. And if you go and you find that banyan tree in Lahaina, and you go to that little museum right there beside that tree, you'll see that there is a missionary house that was hit with a cannonball by one of the ships that had a misfire because these people who were living by the flesh were now living by the Word. They mastered the Word and they were being mastered by the Word and the world did not like it. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Master the Word. Be mastered by the Word. And if the world doesn't like it, be faithful as He counts you worthy of suffering for His glory and His goodness. Next week in our text, Paul's going to speak about how he is being poured out. And it leads us to a spot in every one of our lives where we will ask the question, or we will make the statement, Lord, pour me, pour me. How could this happen to me? Pour me. Or a life that says, Lord, pour me out for your glory. Pour me out for your glory. Our next steps... As a church family, together we desire deeper roots in the Lord. And so we ask these next steps together individually, but also we apply them together. The first is this. It's a question. Am I training myself and those that I influence to successfully endure hardships? Am I training myself and those that I influence to successfully endure hardships? That's the question. If I were to look at my life, if you were to look at your life last month and, and study yourself, myself looking at myself, and you were to say, what is this person training for? Would you say they're training for things to go from bad to worse? For things to stay the same or for things to get easier? And so the, my application question for you, by the way, these next steps questions, I encourage you, if you came to church with anybody, discuss them on your way home. And if you came to church by yourself, praise God for you, write them down and share them with somebody. That's your homework. The second question is this. What practical steps can I take to share the story of Scripture with others this week? What practical steps can I take to share about the hero of Scripture with other people this week? If you want an open door to having conversations, here's an easy tool for you. You can say this. This week when I was at church, my pastor talked about fill in the blank. What do you think about that? It's one of the easiest open conversations you can ever have. How do I use that? I don't speak in the third person like a creep. I don't do that. My pastor told me. On the other side, I do this. In my research, I came across this. Have you ever thought about that before? It's one of the most easy and natural entrances to a conversation to somebody about faith. I encourage you to pray about how you can be more rooted in the faith and help root those that you're connected to for the glory of God and the goodness of his body. It's a joy to worship together, isn't it? It's a joy to know our king together, isn't it? 
In our singing, we reinforce what we believe. In our living, we reinforce what we believe. We are a people called to master the Word and to be mastered by the Word in all that we do. There is hope to all that look to Christ. Would you stand together? Let's sing to our King who is worthy of all of our life this wonderful song.